and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast that reveals everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and explains how to make it really work for you in your home. And thanks to DFS for sponsoring this podcast. Did you know that DFS has its very own design team who scout the latest interiors trends to create DFS's range of comfortable and stylish sofas? Now, before we go any further, I have to just tell listeners where we are. I'm on your landing, Kate, outside your spare room, which I remember last time you were here was going to have a gold ceiling. Well, and I just know that you can't you wait were quite to hear my verdict. <laughs> Shiny poo, I think yeah, I said. Yeah, I think those were your words. Yeah. Thanks for that. Would you like to come and have a look? Come on, let's see the big reveal. I'm a bit frightened. I don't know if I want to let you in. Come in. Oh, no There way. we go. Wow. Look at that. No shiny poo for you. It's all right, isn't it? That paint is remarkable. It's good, isn't it? It looks like a gilt ceiling. It's incredible. Of course, what I hadn't realised until I looked at the ceiling closely was that it was anaglypta wood chip oh, no. and then I panicked because I thought obviously a gold shiny paint is going to show yeah. every lump and bump so I bought some very heavy grade lining paper ah. and we stuck that I say we we had to pay someone to do that the decorator put that over the anaglypta and I think you know if you look at it you can still see the odd bump but actually it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah but I'm quite liking it because you've got yeah. some really beautiful original um, mouldings and stuff in here haven't you around the edge which is all kind of like yeah. battered and worn so the whole thing has quite an antiqued yeah, I think it works. It. So we took that across the ceiling, over the moulding and down to the picture rail, which was original. Yeah. So gold ceiling, yeah. pale pink on the top half of the wall. And then the plan was it would be burgundy on the bottom half. Yeah. So I was away travelling. I went to Milan for the press conference about Salone. Hello, Enid. What do you think? Enid's just joined She's us in the room. all over the furniture. <laughs> um, so the idea was the bottom half of the wall and skirting boards would be burgundy. Then, then the pale pink. pink. Then the gold. Then the gold. So I'd been away travelling and I was uh, I was flying back from Glasgow and I was at the airport and I texted my husband, the mad husband, to say, so, how does it look? And I got a text back saying, hmm, Indian restaurant circa 1970. Ooh. And I just, do you know when you know, I thought he's right. And I love that combination of burgundy, pale pink and gold, but this is not a very big room. I mean, it's and a it pretty a bit, good size a for a bedroom, but it was too much for a room of this so size. So what do you use this room for? You've got your desk in here. Well, so then came back from Glasgow, uh, spent the weekend painting out the burgundy. Yourself. So, myself. <laughs> so the walls are all now pale pink with just the gold ceiling. Yeah, and I, I think it. it's great. It's quite restful um, in here. It is quite restful. And it was going to be the spare room. And then I just decided I liked it so much. I thought it was going to be my new office. Oh, wow. So I've turned it into my office. So I bought that desk from eBay the other day. Thrifty. New carpet. And uh, I'm all set. Now I've just got to sort of properly move in. Well, we'll I, there. Oh, well I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, top No marks. boo. <laughs> Winning. Winning at boo ceiling. <laughs> Right, 
Right, so here we are, back in our usual place in the library, away from the front line of interior design in action. <laughs> <laughs> but before we crack on, let me just remind you listeners that if you'd like to see the gold ceiling in all its glory or comment on anything else on the show, you can probably find us most easily on Instagram where I'm mad about the house and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. And we'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch. Now, Sophie, what's on the agenda today? Well, it's all a bit different from last time, isn't it? The live episode in Dublin. There's no hordes of adoring fans. <laughs> it's just... Just Enid. Just, just you, me, Enid. And lovely Kate, our producer. Um, but how much fun was that? Oh, it was Dublin. great fun. We went on the telly. We went on the telly. So um, I've done a couple of live TV appearances before, but Kate, that was your first time. How was it? It was my first time on telly. Never mind live. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Don't swear, don't swear. <laughs> this is Davina. You are live to the nation. Don't swear. I was terrified. Terrified of So we swear. were on Island AM, which yep. was like the Irish morning breakfast show. We had to get up at some ungodly hour, didn't we? It was like it was six o'clock. And also he said he thought my house, the presenter, yeah. said he thought my house wasn't very rock and roll. Take that with your gold ceiling. Well, I was not expecting that. They basically mined our Instagram feeds yeah. and then were shoving pictures of our house up <laughs> for the whole of Ireland to see, which I found quite alarming and yeah. yeah so that you went rock and roll enough yeah but no we got a lot of love generally didn't we from our beautiful Irish audience I mean we've been in the press quite a lot over there yeah too in lots of the newspapers I particularly liked one review from the Irish Independent who to quote them called us rowdy funny and extremely well informed I'll take that with I'll you. take that <laughs> anyhow Sophie enough of the trumpet and you blowing it what are we talking about today <laughs> so first up I thought it would be really interesting to to have a bit of a discussion about architecture versus interior design because I sometimes see the two things pitched against one another. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a little chat around that subject. Uh, we're going to get nitty gritty about lighting and yep, give people um, our ideas on how to get that right. And then in our How to Plan a Room series, we're taking a visit to the downstairs loo. So talk to me about architecture versus interior design because... You know, there's there's been a long debate about it going on, I think, hasn't there, in recent years? And some interior designers now call themselves interior architects. Yeah. And some architects, they don't tend to do interior design. No. or And they don't always work together either, architects and interior designers or interior design. So... I just wanted to kind of highlight the fact that the two do go hand in hand. They should. Know, they should. <laughs> On a basic level, what I see a lot of people doing is investing quite a lot of their budget, time and energy in the architecture of the home, be that a new build or a renovation or an extension, which we know is really expensive, and then not putting any thought or indeed budget into what the interior design element might cost Well, I mean, I, I noticed that. I feel every time with Grand Designs, the reveal is always disappointing because they've spent all this money on an amazing building and then the inside. Yeah, I mean, like, like maybe they've got no taste or they're more likely have run out of money. Oh, they've always so, run out of money. It's like an Ikea sofa in a plant pot, isn't it, at the end? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was looking at the Instagram of Life of an Interior Stylist yesterday. She posted a picture of an amazing pink spiral staircase and she said she'd been watching one of those programmes and saw a couple who'd created an incredible building and then just put a really bog-standard staircase inside and it, it made her feel really sad. I mean, it... It must be mostly about the money. Must I think it's really about the money, but I think you need to flag out the priorities. So, you know, for example, some neighbours next door to us, that's where you find neighbours, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> well done, Sophie. <laughs> They've just built like a really amazing property, very modern, very stylish, very cutting edge. 
big, massive glassy windows, south-facing. Oh, be like a greenhouse. They can't afford any blinds because they've run out of money. So they have to lie in bed in the morning and we can see them as well. Um, And I just think, oh, come on, you know, you've got to see a project all the way it feels like there's a disconnect isn't there and i i don't know whether that's the fault of the professionals perhaps who should be working more together i mean we all always think our job is the most important in a team don't we so you know i get you've got to have walls that hold the roof up and you've got to have (laughs) windows that are draft proof but at some point somebody needs to say Yes, the architect, we want some nice windows, but we don't need that many or we don't need it to be so show off from the outside because we have got to pay for curtains for the inside. And I think often people get carried away with just one element of it. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out here and I think architects can get carried away. And I think if you're employing an architect who are brilliant, obviously, and do an amazing job, but in terms of budget, I think sometimes they need to be controlled. And my husband, you know, and I've done lots of projects, my husband's a builder, and he can see how sometimes you can strip back the architectural details Mm. in order to save money. So I think that would be my bit of advice. If you've got an architect in and they're doing lots of lovely, fancy, schmancy stuff, maybe just have a chat with your builder and say, is there any way that we could still get this effect? Yeah, and take it down a bit. But maybe take it down a bit. So when we had my mum's annex designed, which is, you know, a complete new build, and we worked with really good friend of ours who's an architect who did lots of different drawings and lots of really clever little architectural details that me and my mum got really excited about. And we were like, oh, yeah, that looks really nice. That looks really nice. And then it was my husband who, as the builder of the project, was like, well, we can't afford that, that and that. And it was his expertise that stripped it right back, got rid of the stuff that was more aesthetic, but wasn't going to compromise on the standard of her experience within the place and managed to get the whole thing into budget. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And I now don't miss all those little windows and trappings and zinc trims and all the other things that were piling on the, the pounds. From my sort of experience, and I'm not an interior designer, but I do help people with their homes, a lot to do with sourcing and sort of styling of it. But it seems to me that people are quite confident with the interior of saying, oh, I don't want to use that colour paint or I don't like curtains or no, I, I really don't want that. We're quite comfortable with that we are much less comfortable with that area of expertise that is an architect. So if the architect says, you need to have this window in this position and it needs to be this size because this will affect the light in the whole room, we go, oh, yeah, okay. Um, Because we, we don't feel qualified to disagree. So I go to a lot of houses where people show me the architect's plans, perhaps for their kitchen or their extension with a kitchen in it. And they're like, well, the architect says we should have this because this will make a clean line and this will look good. And they're not actually getting what they want out of the kitchen. It's not going to function how they want it to as a family. But they're very nervous about saying to somebody who's got such a a, a job that we don't understand about disagreeing, whereas they're much more comfortable about saying to the kitchen designer, no, I don't want my washing machine to go there. So yeah. I think that's part of So you think people feel intimidated by architects because they can be quite intimidating characters too. Well, it's all those black polar necks <laughs> and the black <laughs> coffee, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember one project my husband worked on and this, you know, the typical thing, the big knock through open plan kitchen, dining, living area. 
But the extension, the box extension on the back had been clad in this really smart zinc roof cladding. My husband was like, that cost them an absolute bomb. And I remember standing there going, going, but you can't even see it. You can only see it if you're standing in the upstairs bedroom. And that just seemed madness to me to spend all that money on an architectural detail that you don't even really see. I had a friend, she was a school mum years ago, who was extending along the back of her house and moving everything around. And she was very clear that there needed to be a sort of, not a passage, but, you know, a walkway from the front door to the back for muddy football boots and so on and so forth. And the architect had then planned in this lighting to go over the dining room table, which was going to be along this wall of glass at the back of the house. So he planned that all in and did it. And she said, oh, yes, that's that's very nice, but... Um, I can't have that there because that will block the door I need for the boys to go to their garden with the muddy football boots. And the architect was like, well, it's too late now, I've planned it. Mm. So she ended up having to move the table a metre over so it didn't sit under this beautifully created rectangle of light. I mean, it was an example, I think she was frightened of standing up to him because he'd said, but the back of the house must look like this so to make it work architecturally. Yeah. Totally. And not about the fact she had two small boys with muddy football boots. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was a that was a classic example of being afraid to stand up and say to an architect, you know, I get this might look better, but actually I have this to live in it. Works. <laughs> and that's yeah. how it works. Yes. Yeah. The moral of the story, I think, is you have to really look at the plans, which can be difficult to decode. But get them to explain to you and, you know, think about how you live in the space. Yeah, think about how you live in the space and think about your experience of a space as well. So I know that a lot of people want to improve the experience of their home. And a lot of them think, OK, that's got to be a loft conversion or extension at the back or a side return. Um, now, that isn't necessarily going to add any value to your property. I think estate agents are still like, if you've got an extra bedroom, we can charge more money for it. But side returns and back extensions quite often don't. Do they not? I thought don't you added more value the, the more think, square footage you added. I, I thought it was that can, simple. Um, Compared to what it costs, my oh, understanding, yeah, compared to what it costs to do these extensions, what it actually adds to your yeah. house, it's really, you know, negligible. it's, it's negligible. Yeah. And I sometimes think, well, maybe consider employing a professional interior designer to rethink your home. Anyway, I think it's sometimes people just jump to the architecture and the build, where actually, you know, just having an interior designer come in and remodel the interior as it is could make Yes, just it's as about much how you use the space, isn't it? You don't necessarily need more space, but we've been through that again. There's no such thing you would say as a house that's too small, you've just got too much stuff to put in it. So I think before you ever call the architect round, and I've said this to clients before, you need to have that conversation about what you want from the extra space, how you want to use it, because then you've got a very clear set of guidelines and the architect can then work around them. Mm. I do think in defence of architects, that they are often badly briefed by the homeowner or not briefed at all. So they don't necessarily know what the purpose of their design is. And I think you people need to have a much more careful interrogation of what they want to gain from a space that they're creating and what they're going to put in it or take out of it and then call the architect. And I think that, that conversation would then flow much more productively from the start. Yeah, that is very, very wise words. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Still to come are beloved design crimes and the fabulous design opportunities presented by the downstairs loo. But before all that, lighting. Oh, this is a biggie. Roll your sleeves up, Kate. All right, then. This it's is a... difficult, isn't it? 
it's different. Do you know the problem with lighting, though, if you're redoing a room from scratch, is that the builder will come in, or the architect, and say, right, where do you want your lighting? Yes. And you're looking at bare plaster walls, potentially with no roof on. Of course you don't know where you want the lighting. And that is the absolute key thing, isn't it? To, yeah. Is to plan it. If you can, if you're doing a renovation or a new build... Get your lighting plan in from the get-go. And I would argue in order to do a good lighting plan and sockets and switches, you need to do a furniture plan because it all needs to work together. And the problem is people just shove them in anywhere. And then when you come to live in this space, you realise that actually you want a lamp over there and there isn't a socket and the central pendant isn't central to the dining table in the dining room. Well, actually, you might be able to answer that. Being as you're married to a builder and all that, is it very expensive? I mean, most people listening probably aren't in the throes of building their own grand design. Most people are probably looking at their room in their house and thinking, that light's in the wrong place. Mm. Is it very expensive to move a ceiling rose or add a switch or a socket? Do you I know? Think it dep- I think it depends. Electricians aren't the cheapest no. and you must always use a certified one and you must never DIY it. No, so absolutely. that's first up. So no, it, it isn't the cheapest and you're going to make a mess. So I've Because <laughs> I know because I've just done it. We... Um, we moved into our house. All the lighting was completely hideous. They'd done that um, very tried and tested design faux pas of just putting the pendant lights central to the ceiling and the room without actually yeah. where you want the light in the space. Yeah. So that's the most common. I'm, I was going to say design crime, but I, I just building crime, isn't it? That and I've had real rants about that on the blog and elsewhere. That the pendant light hangs down in the middle of the room. That's not where the furniture is, yeah. and it's just lighting a patch of floor at the end of the bed or halfway over the coffee table. And it is as well how a lot of builders, yeah. electricians do it. And I had to have a little tussle with my electrician about where I wanted my downlighters. So we've got quite a low ceilinged cottagey style house. So pendants aren't going to work in my living room or any ceiling lights. So I wanted to put a series of downlighters as I've already ranted on this show many times before, and we're going to rant again, not in a grid, no. uh, strategically placed where I want the light, but even trying to convince my electrician to do it. I wanted like a, um, a ceiling light. Oh, it's a really good idea to put your down lights around the edge of the room. It's a really nice idea. So they're not just shining in your eyes while you're trying to watch telly. So they're a bit so more ambient. push them to the edges so they light the corners of the room. So I'd say around between 30, 45 centimetres away from the wall. Rule of them. That's and really I like, interesting because I would automatically have just banned down lighters from any room that wasn't no, the kitchen they can or the look bathroom. Really effective. And then I've got two. I've got three windows in my living room, and I've done them central to the windows, not central to the wall. So when that light shines, it's symmetrical to the curtains that are closed when I have the lights on because it's the evening and it creates a nice arc of light across the curtains oh but the electrician was like yeah but that's not in the middle of the wall measurement because my window isn't central to the wall measurement so but that's so that's actually a really good tip with them so you've got to know why you're doing it it's not just about getting it central to them I'll tell you why because you do not lie on the sofa staring at your ceiling checking if your lights are in a symmetrical grid that's not how we view a room well and also the key point is that you don't actually want to be a aware of ceiling lights you just want to be aware that there's enough light to see what you're doing well you're aware of the light yeah. that the ceiling lights cast so exactly think of the of the cast of light that your downlighters are going to create and what do they highlight so at the edge of the room they're highlighting a painting or a gallery wall or a bookcase or lamps um or curtains sorry um again try and avoid anything above the sofa i've got one downlighter which is directly over my coffee table footstool 
so that it casts a nice light on the footstool. And if we're playing board games or anything, then the light's there. Again, that is not central to the room. That's central to my furniture plan. You've worded that so well. I had a lighting expert come to my house um, and she talked quite a lot about having a a down lighter above the coffee table um, for the flowers, darling. For the flowers. flowers. (laughs) Oh, it was jigsaws in my house. She was from Chelsea. Um, And I had to sort of point out, didn't always have flowers or ever have flowers on the coffee table. Um, But yes, that's really a good point. So for any games or anything yeah, you've got yeah, going you've on. Yeah, you've got to think, yeah. well, what in my room do I need to highlight? Where do I need the light to be? What do I need be? to see? <laughs> what do I need to see? Absolutely. I've decided not to put any lights in the corner where we have our television set because I don't want the big black TV highlighted by light. So yes. actually that's quite a dark corner. But when the telly's on in the evening, that it obviously gives lights off its up. own light. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's really worth thinking out how you use the room, plan out your furniture before you plan your lighting. So in answer to your question... Was it expensive? I never saw the bill, actually. (laughs) But it was expensive in so much as the um, electrician had to hack channels across the the ceiling in order to put the wiring in. And And then then you've got to to make it good, have Filled and repainted. So there is that other technique, particularly with pendant lights, where you can get an electrician to extend the flex of your light and then put a cup hook in the ceiling. Oh, so that's where you don't actually move the electrics. You're just getting an extension of the the, cord from the ceiling rows And then you can hook the light wherever you want it. And that, I think, can work in two ways. So if you've got low ceilings which aren't tall enough for a pendant. I was going to say it wouldn't work for me. (laughs) You've got that in your cottage. I've got that in my kitchen, which hasn't got a high enough ceiling to have pendant lights over the table, which we wanted. But if you hook them then over to a corner or a coffee table or something that you're not going to walk underneath, that's one way of doing it. And the other thing is you can actually free up some floor space because you could send a pendant light across the ceiling and hang down in a corner and actually that makes a feature of that corner. Yeah, nice. It's highlighting highlighting a console table or a side table you might have. Your vase of flowers obviously strategically placed below. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a nice idea and actually see uh, wall lights is something else that I really love to have in my schemes because again they throw light across the room. It's a different ambient type of lighting. But people have been really frightened by wall lights. Putting them into position is again it's like chasing out the wall and it's yeah. fill and it's mess and it's dust. But again, using your theory of putting a really long flex that just goes to a normal lamp socket, and we're talking decorative flexes here, like Dowsling and Reynolds do a lovely yeah. selection Cable, of different uh, colours. Cord yeah, flexes. cord flexes yeah. that are covered in, a, in like a fabric. And then you can hang them anywhere as you would a picture, which is brilliant. Yeah. Because also the thing that makes me nervous is, and I've done this in other projects where I have committed to wall lights and then actually I want to move the bed just a foot to the right to create a bit more space and then it doesn't line up with the wall lights. And well, it's just and quite also, restrictive. there have been a lot of wall lights in recent years which I think would fall very squarely into the design crimes category. Those little sort of wrought iron ones with tiny lampshades. They're very country cottage, oh, actually. I don't think that's a design My grandmother crime. had them. Oh, I love um, a little jolly wall light with a lampshade on. Oh, do you? <laughs> Well, we'll have to, as ever, agree to disagree on that one. But I do think wall lights is a good idea. Although, having said that's a really interesting point, you can't ever move your furniture. Whereas, actually, if you've got a pendant light on a hook, you can move a cup. Yeah, I think, again, you know, ask yourself the question. So when I did the layout for my living room, I honestly can't imagine us configuring it any other way. Two sofas. Well, you've got a huge fireplace, so you're sort of bound by that, Only one place to put the telly. Yeah. It kind of is what it is. We're not going to switch it around so much. Um, In a room, maybe like a bedroom or an office where you might want to switch your aspect around a bit more, then yes, maybe less 
less committed and go for wall lights and pendant lights that can be moved around on long lasso <laughs> style. <laughs> I think the flexes. main key is though that you know you need you need more lighting than you think, don't mm-hmm. you? I mean, I don't really have dimmers in this house, and I know that's a mistake. You could have those put in though. Why you can. You... Ha- I could absolutely have them retrofitted, but I think you know you need an overhead light on a switch just for when you come into the room. You need either some wall lights or some spotlights, and then you need the ambient lights, table lamps, floor lamps. So you've got to. I think isn't there a sort of vague rule of thumb that you need eight lights in every room? Oh, I hadn't heard that. I'm sure I've read that. I've got a lot more. Of course you have, (laughs) and I've got a lot less. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, it's about dotting the light around the room, isn't it? So lamps are perfect for lighting dark corners. Again, because I've been renovating my house, I've gone to the indulgence of having them put on a three amp plug, which then all goes. Well, it means that when I switch the lights on, my lamps come on, and I cannot tell you the thrill it gives me when I thought every... you were going to say when you put the lights on the telly came on and yeah, dinner was cooked that would be even better wouldn't it <laughs> and the electric blanket goes on in the bedroom and it's all automated no not quite but what's lovely is when I'm basically turning the lights off at the end of an evening or I just have to, I have got four a bang of four dimmers so my ceiling lights down lights are on two circuits one for the ones lighting the edge of the room and then the one over the footstools on its own because sometimes you want that on, sometimes you don't. And then I've got the third lighting circuit is all the lamps, of which there are three. And then the fourth one is for the LED tape that goes into my bookcase for a bit of backlighting. Oh, fancy. <laughs> so I, I, we're very old-fashioned in this house. We have to um, walk around and turn all the lights off at source. <laughs> That's probably why you're fitter than me. <laughs> yeah, but, but I remember um, on Instagram, the Kate edit, her house, I think she's redecorating it, but it was very dark at one point and beautifully lit in photographs with lots of fairy lights and lamps and everything else. And I interviewed her for the blog and she said, that there was a sort of nightly conversation with her husband about whose turn it was to, to turn, turn all, all the, lights, all the off lights off and who could, you know, go to bed and read a book. Um, and I think that is a factor, isn't it? So it's yeah. a good idea to have them on If switches. you can, if you're renovating, which we were, yeah. just get it all done at once and like I say, have a plan. I think the LED tape thing's quite interesting. Um, I'm quite new to the whole LED tape craze. It was I Daniel got Hop- any, or Daniel Hopwood, yeah. who was my co-judge on Design Challenge, absolutely loved a bit of LED tape. But again, he's an interior designer. He's designing homes for people in a bespoke way, starting from scratch. He designs a lot of joinery for people. So he could plan it in. But again, it's just a really lovely, subtle way of creating a little bit of backlight, if you like. So it's the complete antithesis of that big, bright, shiny pendant light in the middle of the room that just glares in the eyes. It's all about putting backlighting, mood lighting, yeah. more subtle lighting in. And if you've, if you've got a collection of beautiful books or lovely ceramics or glassware, then it does help really show them off too. I think that the key is you probably can't be overlit, but you can be underlit. You know, you don't have to turn all the lamps on, but you do need to have lamps in corners for atmosphere. And you need to have those lamps at different heights. You know, for people who aren't undertaking big electric works, you know, try and have a tall floor lamp or a low floor lamp or a table lamp. And the other thing which um, I'm always falling for this is I see a beautiful lamp that I love the shape of. And then I realise that it's got a very, very opaque or metal shade and that actually it's only going to give a very direct downlight and there's nothing atmospheric it's about not it. So, yes, you need a fabric lampshade to diffuse light all around. Although, am I right in thinking you hate a fabric lampshade? 
I, I, want pen- no, I, I hate a fabric lampshade as a ceiling pendant light because when you look up, you just see the bulb underneath. And when that's switched on, that's really glary and ugly. So I'm not a fan of the fabric drum shade for a ceiling light. Just looking That's up a design crime. The- <laughs> oh, that's overhead <laughs> pendant light <laughs> in my library. I can um, see the <clears throat> light bulb from here. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Tom Redfield. I love it. But uh, clearly... Somebody doesn't. <laughs> I know, I see your point. But you can actually sometimes get very posh fabric lampshades, can't you? Which have a little sort of thing at the bottom. I don't know what that's called. A diffuser, yeah, is it? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. To stop you seeing that bright, lamp. sharp yeah, lampshade. I want to ask you what you think about these smart bulbs. I know people like Philips and Ikea are doing them, which you can... Just thinking for your... For Kate Edit with her hundreds of lights that takes them half an hour to switch off in the evening. You know, you can download these apps and control I your light I don't want bulbs. to control the lights with an amp. I just want to switch on the wall or on the light (laughs) and also though those things uh, people are going oh it's brilliant we can change the colour to suit the mood I just I I can't even speak I don't know why you want the lights in different colours you don't live in a disco why would you want to sit in blue (laughs) or changing through to pink and green I find that weird have I missed the point well, I think we might be touching a little design crime there too, actually, because I've got a bit of an issue with I lighting. I thought you were going to say you've got one. <laughs> no, I don't have one. I don't have one. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm a bit of a technophobe. There are a few things in my house that need to be controlled by an app, including the central heating, which is coming on at all kinds of weird times throughout the night. And is I that controlled by an app? Yeah. Uh, Which I've forgotten the login details for. Anyway, you see, it's a disaster. I walk, I walk on my feet to my boiler and then I use my hands and I press a button. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is the modern day struggle, isn't it? It's like another password that I have to remember. It's yeah. another bit of technology that doesn't work if that Wi-Fi is dropped off because we live in the middle of nowhere. So I'm not about to start using smart lighting anytime too but I do know that it is growing in popularity like all these things and I think the idea of being able to turn your lights on and off or have them come on while you're out it's all very clever and very useful my mother's got quite a clever light that um you turn on by clapping and then you clap again and it goes a bit dimmer I mean she probably got it from the sort of pensioner pages of the newspaper but I mean the kids (laughs) love it I mean, that's quite, you know, it's it's the analogue version of the app, I guess, isn't yes. it? You can just walk into the room. Well, if you've got an eight-year-old like I have, there is no chance you can have one of those in your house. It would be no. like a permanent disco rave. There you are. You change the bulb <laughs> yes. and it's all done for you. <laughs> so next up in our continuing How to Plan a Room series, we're approaching the downstairs loo. <laughs> now, I've had quite a lot of jip about my potential black loo which is not here yet but Sophie have you got a downstairs loo and what does it look like? I have got a downstairs loo and it's almost finished but you know me Kate I'm never in a hurry. Half half every room. <laughs> every room's half done. <laughs> so you know like most people who have a downstairs loo it's very bijou the smallest room in the house but from an interior designer's point of view I absolutely love designing downstairs loos. I think this is the perfect opportunity to completely unleash yourself yes because it's so small you can just go a bit mad can't you yeah definitely so my um downstairs loo is off the hallway which is this very electric deep lazuli you might have mentioned that who anybody who's seen it on instagram will know so i kind of did want it to have a little bit of relationship with the hallway so i found these amazing tiles from tops tiles which are pretty much a color match 
to this lazuli blue. So you kind of come out of my very deep enveloping hallway then into the cocoon of the downstairs loo. And I've tiled three quarters of the way up to the top and then I'm yet to find a wallpaper to put on well, it's not even three-quarter bits. It's more like five-sixths. The tiles go quite high. Maybe picture, technical. Maybe picture rail height. Let's go right. with that. And then I'm going to wallpaper the top bit and the ceiling. I was going to say you're going to go I'm over the ceiling. I'm, I'm thinking jungle chintzy kind of. It's finding a pattern, though, when you go over the ceiling yeah, that isn't rats. growing. Yeah. Because if it's plants growing upwards, you get in trouble going over the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Hi. Who's this? That's Isaac. Isaac. He's off to school. I've never met Isaac. No, well, I don't think you're going to now either. I only ever hear him. (laughs) That's his back view disappearing. quickly from his bedroom to the door (laughs) so he doesn't have to meet. Oh, good door slam. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's go back to my downstairs loop. So, yes, I'm looking for a jungly wallpaper that will wrap over the ceiling. And you're right, that isn't as easy as it stands because most wallpapers are designed to look at vertically, not yeah. on a ceiling. So, you know, when I find that, but I just want it to feel like really immersive. The other thing I've done is I went quite budget on the loo in the base and I didn't spend loads of money on those, but I did splash out on some rather fabulous brass taps. Of course you did. They are... <laughs> Had to hide the receipt from the husband on oh, really? one. <laughs> yeah. So just let's tell the nation, Sophie, how much were they? They were five hundred pounds. Is that one tap for a pair of taps? Oh, two taps. Yeah, okay. two. that's. I think that's quite a lot for a downstairs loo. Taps are expensive. Well, they are as well if you're going for the brass. I got them from Bespoke Taps, which I did shop around, and I have to say they are very, very competitive. And these taps are really, really amazing. Um, but. I think this is my tip as well with downstairs losers. I think you need a little bit of wow. Yeah. Like, because the whole bathroom is this very deep, dark blue tile, and then the brass wall-mounted taps just ping out. Absolutely. Like a fabulous piece of jewellery. But also, we've talked about that before. That's the touch point. You know, spend money on that, because that's the bit you're always going to be touching and looking at mm. is the taps. And, you know, pretty much a loo is a loo is a loo. Although I would always say, particularly in a downstairs loo or a small bathroom, it's got to be wall-mounted, because then you see more floor and it looks bigger. Also, it's just more hygienic. So is your black toilet that's coming, is that going to be a wall-mounted one? Yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. So we couldn't do that just because of the architecture of our house. I did try for that, but the builder has been said... No. no. So we've just got quite a classic yeah. Victorian style loo. Interestingly, we've got a Thomas Crapper toilet oh, cool. seat. And there's a little story behind that as well, because it is really beautiful. Um, Tom was renovating somebody's house and they ordered this loo seat. And one of his guys put a tiny little scratch in it when he was fitting it, which, you know, you can't have that when you've got no. a Thomas Crapper toilet seat. £500 it <gasps> cost for a loo seat. And is so Tom, yeah, yeah, wooden. It is beautiful. So Tom had to cough up and buy them a new one. But oh it meant God. that I got... The Thomas Crapper toilet seat Brilliant. with a tiny... I don't even know where the scratch is. I can't see it. So there you go. I've got my designer taps on my £500 loose seat. I tell you what was an interesting architectural feature, which actually Lily Pebbles mentioned the other day. She's done her house up recently. So Lily Pebbles, again, is an influencer you can find Huge on Instagram. Huge Instagram star and YouTube star. Um, and she, when creating her loo, did the same thing I did, which was we stole a bit from the kitchen. Uh, to make the space. My downstairs loo is under the stairs and it wasn't quite big enough. So we took a little bit out of the kitchen to do that. And what Lily said her architect did is he put a very high internal window in so that there is some natural light. I mean, you know, a little bit of light that comes into the downstairs loo, but it's so high in the wall that it doesn't, it doesn't do with privacy privacy. or sound or anything else. And I thought that was a really clever Mm, idea. To get a bit of borrowed light. Yeah, I thought, 
sort of wish we'd thought about that. And actually, because I love an internal window, but you can do that quite a lot with, you know, over the top of doors or high mm. on walls. And I thought that was a clever idea. She's also got, um, and I remember having a conversation with her about it, a sliding door. Now, we couldn't have a sliding door on our downstairs, Lou, because there was nowhere for it to slide to. But if you can, that's such a good space to save the space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to that whole thing of how to make spaces feel bigger, a nice big mirror is going to really help do that too. But I think otherwise, all of them just go mad. Wallpaper, absolutely, 100% go for it. I think maybe if the downstairs loo is really tiny, you might want to put some tiles or panelling in the bottom half. I know you've done a gloss finish, haven't you? Paint to, finish. To sort of bounce the light to, around. To dado and, yeah. and then your wallpaper above, Yeah, which just makes it a bit more But I think those I rules work for any room. I mean, not just the sort of so-called smallest room in the house. I think if you've got a very small room, even if it doesn't have a downstairs loo in it, then you can go mad, you know, do the ceiling the same as the walls, be bold with the colour because it's small. So you can, you know, that's that's the sort of design rule that works across any small small room in the house. Okay, Sophie, it's time. It's your favourite bit of the show. We need a jingle for that, don't we? Yeah, we do need a jingle. Design crimes. What have you got for us this week? I've got, well, we, again, you know, get so many lovely messages through Instagram and Twitter and through our email, through our blogs. But this one really jumped out at me that came through email, mainly because it was from James, who's a lawyer, and I was just thrilled to think that we're reaching that kind of audience. It's brilliant. Um, And he he actually had five design crimes that he sent, so he's quite prolific. So so we can spread them out over the whole of the next series, actually. All right, James. But this one jumped out at me that I thought was quite interesting. He said, new stuff that looks vintage. He then went on to say, and vintage theme in fact, generally, like, what even is that? But I thought the whole conversation about basically new shop-bought furniture and accessories... He's talking about reproduction made furniture, cold. then. Well, so suppose, is, yeah. he, is he talking about where you buy something that was made in a factory last week, but it looks like an antique Chippendale? Yeah, that yeah, as well. With and, him. <laughs> and probably, you know, those sorts of ornaments that you can buy from I don't know places like Asda, Dunelm Mill like they're absolutely everywhere aren't they that are all a bit sort of shabby chic and distressed and look like they've been pulled off the beach. It's the faux ageing isn't it? The yes. Phonus. Yes. The phonus. Where do we sit on the phonus and fakery of well, reproductive reproduction vintage? I've never liked reproduction furniture. I mean I'm not keen on a copy I'd rather have a proper well, antique or something is, proper new. Is stuffed with you know genuine vintage pieces, yeah. there? and you've already said that you know the lovely desk that you've just put in your office from eBay. I mean that's Georgian. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's proper old, isn't it? It's with proper like, old. <laughs> a bit like me, really. <laughs> <laughs> but it does come down to your tastes and sensibilities, doesn't it? I remember a friend of mine was uh, bought a new apartment. He was trying to do it up, and he asked me like, where could he buy a budget sofa? And my advice was, do you know what? I'd buy one on eBay or one of these secondhand places and get a good quality sofa second hand for half the yeah. price rather than something really cheap. And he went, oh, my girlfriend's from Japan. She would never go with that. She can't have anything second hand. Do you know, I used to work for a news editor when I worked in Birmingham and he wouldn't live in a house that anybody'd lived in before. Whoa, so he that's limiting. A, yeah. <laughs> well, he bought a new build house and that's where he was going to stay. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So I suppose, you know, that, that that's the thing is some people like the look of old but they don't like the fact that somebody else yeah. has used something. Yeah. 
And then I think there's just the convenience of it. Like sometimes it's just so much easier to buy something online or in a catalogue or from a supermarket shelf than it is to go to the flea market or the car boot sale or the junk shop and try and find the genuine I think, antiques. I think ultimately, though, I'm probably with James. Either buy something old because it's old and you like it or buy something modern. It doesn't have to be avant-garde modern, but just something new and modern if but, that's what you prefer. You'd, but, why buy something new that's a copy of something old? I don't understand that as a mentality. What's difficult is all to do with trends. So, for example, mid-century modern, you know, people loving that kind of like 50s, 60s aesthetic. That's been copied absolutely everywhere. You're right. You're absolutely right. And somehow you get that away doesn't with that feel more. That doesn't so jar you as much, does it? No, it doesn't. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because I don't want to look at a faux Chippendale chair, but actually a sort of modern chair inspired by the clean lines of mid-century modern doesn't offend me as much. Oh, I'm stumped. <laughs> I think I don't have an opinion now. I don't know what to say. There is now smoke coming out of Kate's ears. <laughs> She's finally blown a fuse. <laughs> The woman, four four not the found. woman with an opinion on everything has finally ground to a halt. I have. That's the end. That may be the end of the series. <laughs> As always, here's a quick summary of today's key points. So when we talked about architecture versus interiors, the big take home here is create a brief for your architect and do not be afraid to stand up for your rights. Don't be intimidated by those black polo <laughs> Then on to lighting. It's all about planning your furniture layout before you decide where you want to place the lights. And if in doubt, more is more and stick it all on a dimmer. And then finally, the downstairs loo. Simple's here. Go mad and have fun. And all of that information will, of course, be on our blogs. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinsoninteriors.co.uk. For now, it only remains to say thank you so much to our brilliant sponsors, DFS. Thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor. And biggest thanks always to you for listening and continuing to leave your amazing rates and reviews. We read every single one and it does really help us reach that essential new audience thank you very much and we'll see you in the great indoors bye <laughs> <laughs>